Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy of the Oklahoman, Joe Masato, on this Friday morning. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Good morning to you, Michael. Not a good morning for uh, the top Thunder players of the FIBA World Cup. Um, Davis Bertans won his game. That's right. The Fighting Latvians uh, are victorious. I know (laughs) Thunder fans were on pins and needles uh, watching Latvia play. Uh, I actually did not catch a second of that game, but I did catch the uh, losses that the Canadians and the Australians suffered. But yes, shout out to Latvia for beating Spain 74-69 in what was a pretty big upset. Well, let's start with Australia because um, Josh um, produced, but it was just not enough for them as they faced off against Slovenia and Luka Doncic. And it looks like they are going to be eliminated from uh, this tournament. Is that correct? Yeah, so... In the second round of of group stage, so it doesn't kind of play out like the the soccer World Cup does. Um, teams remain in group stage, but the groups are reshuffled. Your records from round one carry over. So Australia is now two and two, and there's two undefeated teams in their group. Germany is undefeated, and Slovenia is undefeated. So no matter what, you know, even if both of those teams lose, even us, even if Australia wins their last game, they're out. So um, this was an elimination game for them, even though they will uh, play in one more game. But kind of a, not kind of, a a very disappointing tournament for the Australians who finished fourth uh, in the last World Cup. Uh, They were among the favorites coming into this World Cup. Germany beating them was, was, you know, kind of an upset. And then, you know, losing to Slovenia, there's no shame in losing to Luka Doncic. But top to bottom, I mean, the Australians have so much more depth than the Slovenians do. Um, but yeah, they just uh, then it then it looked quite right. Josh was amazing uh, down the stretch, especially at the end of the third quarter. Kind of put the game into his own hands. Just wasn't getting uh, enough help. Josh and Patty Mills versus the world apparently was uh, the game plan for Australia. But yeah, they came up short. It looked like they were kind of like going back into the game. And then for whatever reason, I know that like you want to keep your guys fresh, but Slovenia subs in Luca at the same time. Australia gets Josh out for a little bit and it just totally basically ended the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the boomers, as they're called, uh, went went bust, you might say. Well, I'm noticing a common thread between Australia and uh, Canada is that they just said, what if we just gave Giddy and Shea zero spacing? Patty Mills is the only good shooter between these two teams, I think. Yeah, like theoretically, Joe Ingles is a good shooter, but I don't think he scored today for Australia um, and just was reluctant to to shoot. So that's uh, that's not good. But the Canadians, uh, they're in desperate need of Jamal Murray or Andrew Wiggins or whoever else is willing to take a three because they had Shea, Dort, Barrett, 
and Dylan Brooks on the floor together for long stretches. And Dwight Powell at times, too. I mean, that's just negative spacing. Um, it was, uh, you know, Shea was really good. Dort was actually pretty good today, too. The common theme, though, despite Shea's incredible World Cup, he's not shot it well from three. Um, Dort was, I think, two of seven from three. They they just they they don't have anyone who who can shoot the ball, and and that really bit them today. Yeah, it, it looks like whenever you go to the YMCA and you watch like five year olds play basketball, like that's the spacing that they were operating on, where where mm-hmm. everyone's at the rim. I compared it on Twitter to like nineteen seventies spacing, but. I'm just looking because I even tweeted out. I was like, is there any way that Canada can like fight to get Isaiah Joe citizenship or something like that? Because I'm, I'm looking at the NBA players currently playing from Canada and these guys aren't even on the team. But it's like Chris Duarte, Caleb Houston, Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray and Andrew Wiggins are the best shooters, I guess. Omax Prosper is a rookie. Like there's there's not a lot of great Canadian shooters currently for whatever reason. Yeah, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker had been shooting well. Today he goes one of eight. Um, Kelly Olenek, uh, actually he just attempted two. I was looking at something else here. He was one of six from uh, two-point range, two of eight overall, very bad. But listen, no excuse for the Canadians losing this game. This was probably the biggest upset of the tournament, Brazil beating Canada 69-65. Canada was eight of 30 from three, 27%. Brazil was five of 27. They shot 19% from three. So it wasn't like uh, they had some crazy outlier shooting game. This was just a really, really bad loss um, for Canada, which had been just steamrolling teams in the World Cup. They went 3-0 and in the first round of group stage, won by an average of 37 points uh, per game, including a 30-point win uh, over France. And, you know, they were putting up more than 100 points in a 40-minute game, and today they score 65. So now uh, they're not only fighting for their World Cup lives, but they're fighting to still qualify for the Olympics next summer. And that would be a huge bummer if we didn't see uh, Shea and Dort in the Olympics. I'm sure Shea wants more than anything to be in Paris for the basketball and the fashion. But, yeah, no shade and sharp either. Just like I'm Andrew Nimhard. There, There's not a lot of shooters already, and then the few that there are weren't playing and they decided to go with a football lineup of Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, RJ Barrett, Kelly Lennox sometimes, or um, Dwight Powell. How about Bruno Caboclo? 29 points. No, that was his, uh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. 19 points, 13 rebounds in 29 minutes. Uh, No longer two years away. (laughs) He's arrived. We're, We're past the two years away from being two years away. Bruno Caboclo is here and some fellow by the name of Yago Santos who had um uh I'm I'm looking at Barong Santos. He had eight points, ten assists. I mean, just like a super small guard. It's like what's happening out here? But that's kind of the beauty of the World Cup. Guys you've never heard of um you know beating a team that has a ton of NBA players on it. Well the truth is Shea and these guys, they're coming into the guys who you um, said, you know, that you never heard of. Shea's coming into their environment and the type of game they play. Shea's mm-hmm. obviously the much better basketball player. Everybody knows that. Lou Dort's better than everybody else on Spain. Or not on Spain, but on Brazil. But when you're going in and playing their way under their style and their rules, they're going to have the distinct advantage since they've been playing this way for a very long time and they do it full time. Whereas the NBA guys are coming and adjusting. But like you said, it's very cool to see some of these guys who 
are professionals overseas and playing in this way, showing how talented they are. And then I also just like watching guys like Patty Mills and Dennis Schroeder go over and just translate immediately back to, I guess, their roots playing. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we mentioned a, a little, you know, half joking off the top, but Latvia, even without Kristaps Porzingis, they, they do win again today. Um, they've kind of been one of the, one of the Cinderella teams of this tournament. Uh, they got whacked by Canada in the, in the first round of the group stage, but um, they, they are still alive. So next up for Canada Sunday at, I think it's eight thirty AM our, our time. Uh, eight fifteen It says here eight fifteen. they play Spain. So that's, that's no gimme. Um, so that's, that's going to be a, a real dogfight between those two teams. Yeah, Spain, um, they lost to France, but they they beat Brazil. So I mean, they beat them by 18. So that should say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played like Iran um, and a few other countries here that I don't identify the flag of immediately. So I'm just going to skip that. But it's going to be very interesting to see uh, Canada and Shea and like do or die time. But yeah, that, that Canadian team, I'm sure Shea is going, yeah, I really, you know what? I didn't appreciate Mike Muscala enough or Lindy Waters, or Isaiah Joe, or any shooting. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird, though, because overall, they, they are shooting 39% from three as a team in this tournament, which really doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, it's basically, I, I mean, the only two... So, like, Alexander Walker's averaging eight and a half three-point attempts per game. RJ Barrett, 5.8 three-point attempts per game. Uh, Shea 4.5 attempts per game, but just shooting 28%. But yeah, just been too, too inconsistent. There. Yeah. The shooting percentages haven't been bad, but like we've talked about before, there's a reason certain guys are open and they're getting these amount of attempts. And if they go in, teams are going to live with them. So yeah, it's one of those things, but some important news came out this week. You know, the thunder, they're never in the, the slop news when it comes to getting these big stars and free agents. It's always about losing someone, but this week it was reported um let me find it here so i can say it exactly correct um it was taken up and aggregated by legion sports but it came from Sean Devaney and it says nba report nba executive believes no one would be in a better position to get giannis than okc the other two dark horses are san antonio and toronto I just wanted to get your uh, initial reactions on that and any other thoughts you have is this anything a nothing burger what what how are you feeling I think it's absolutely nothing. Um, listen, I it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, sure, if you look at it purely from a picks perspective, the Thunder could put together a package that is as or, or more impressive than any team in the league. But as we know, it comes down uh, to a lot more than that. First, you know, mil- like. He he might want to stay in Milwaukee. Milwaukee might be willing to keep him no matter what and, and try to re-sign him rather than, you know, trade him away, even if he, you know, makes his intentions know that he's not going to to re-sign. Um also he won a championship in that city. He's going to have a statue outside the old Pfizer forum one day. Are they just going to trade him to to Oklahoma City, even if he doesn't want to play in Oklahoma City? Like uh, I think the quote was like, no one's more, you know, equipped. I, I can think of a lot of cities 
Miami, Los Angeles, New York. I would put all those teams ahead of the the Thunder. I think this is a I I I have no idea how I I question the validity of the quote in the report to be honest. Um but yeah, it's, I I suppose it's fun to talk about. I mean, team with a lot of assets could hypothetically trade for a good player. It's like saying you know who could really, you know, buy an NBA team? Bill Gates. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, he has a lot of money, sure. so it makes sense. But the full quote is no one would be in better uh, be in a better position to go after him than OKC. Not to say they would, but they'd have uh, to be at a starting point. They have the young talent. They have, I think it's nine first round picks in the next three years. If Milwaukee decides, OK, we're going to move on. That is the first team you call. The executive would go on to say. There aren't many guys who are going to make the Thunder think about a big move, packaging the assets, but Giannis is one if he'd want to go there that they'd think about. Think about? I mean, I, I think I would barely think about yeah. it and just <laughs> just do it. <laughs> um, if uh, Yeah, if the Bucks call Sam Presti and Giannis is on board for this, um, I mean, name, name your picks. Name whatever you want as long as you know you're you're keeping Shea and pairing him with Giannis and it's not like they're going to take it, all the young talent off the board but you could basically name your price and I, I don't think the Thunder would spend too long thinking about that if Giannis made it known that he wanted to stay in Oklahoma City long term but the thought of a you know generational superstar choosing to play in Oklahoma City for the long term has yet to happen so we we will see about that. Yeah. Could this happen? Yes. Is it likely? No. When no. would this happen hypothetically? The thing is, Giannis has this year left, another year, and then in 25-26, he has a player option for $51 million, which for most guys, that'd be a no-brainer you take. But for Giannis, he can get a lot of money on the open market. And for the Thunder, unless they have certainty that he would be here long term, like you mentioned, which has yet to happen so far, and I don't think Giannis is in a position where it's like, yeah, I've never played with any of these guys and I've never lived in Oklahoma City, but if you trade me there, I'll just I'll sign an extension immediately. That just doesn't make sense. So could this happen? Yes. Is it likely? No. And just for all the Thunder fans, the thing is, like you mentioned, name your price. That's the thing is if the Bucks are trading him anywhere, it's not going to be for scraps and you're going to have to give up a lot of pieces and players and assets that you really might be attached to already as a fan. Yeah, this is this has been a very interesting development this summer, though. Giannis's interview with the New York Times, he said a bunch of stuff he did not have to say out loud that now puts a ton of pressure on the Bucks. It opens up a ton of speculation about him not wanting to be there potentially long term. Um, just uh, listen, like you. Some someone can handle their business how they want to handle their business. I was surprised that Giannis went this route, kind of going public, just kind of putting this, uh, you know, thing in the air that you know he he might not be there long term. And um, it's I don't really get the his motivation um, to do that because he could put all the pressure on them internally without you know t- telling this story through the times. Um, but it was one hell of a get by by the by the times and kind of made everyone's eyebrows raise in the NBA. For sure. And then just some odd things. I just don't know. Okay, it's kind of ironic because we're going to do Thunder stuff later. The top 15 players 
in Thunder history, but it's um, Katie, Harden, and Russ are the only ones in my recent memory of former MVPs who are in their prime or still like around that area to be in the trade market or to be traded. So Giannis would be in sort of rare company. There haven't been a lot of guys, like I mentioned, MVP still in their prime sort of area who end up getting traded. Yeah, I, I think you would throw like Anthony Davis in there. I know not an MVP. Um, Kawhi uh, with San Antonio. Kawhi is another is another really good one. And I mean, that worked out as well as it could for for Toronto. I mean, I guess the better scenario would have him still being a Raptor, but to, to win a championship after making that trade. Um, but yeah, the package for Giannis would look altogether different than um what the Spurs got for Kawhi. That was a weird circumstance. Um, but yeah, it's a it is a good point. This is the new NBA though. I mean players can control their movements via trades rather than through free agency in ways that, you know, are just starting to to happen more often now with trade requests and everything like that. So uh yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by by this whole thing. I mean, it's a huge year uh, for Milwaukee. First year coach, roster's getting a little bit older, but at the same time, you could look at them and say, you know, they might be the favorites to come out of the East after that horrible loss to the to the Heat last year. So we'll see. They've got Ty Ty Washington. I think they're gonna be fine. They do have Ty Ty. Uh he got scooped up. The Thunder is going to rue the day they got rid of Ty Ty Washington. The thing is, he actually is going to play for the Bucks exclusively in two games versus the Thunder and average like 35 points per game. And I'm going to lose my mind, even though it was the right thing to do and uh, move on from him and keep the other guys. But that just feels very uh, Thunder vibe to happen. Yeah, I guess I, I would. <laughs> I know you're joking. I'd be surprised if. Uh, I mean, who knows? He might not even make the team, but we'll see. Uh, guys like that kind of have a chance with an older, very expensive roster to where they just need to they need warm bodies. And Ty Ty is that. Yeah, just jokes. But I'm having Javon Carter flashbacks from last year. So Ooh. who who knows? But let's let's get into this top 15 here It is the 15 year anniversary yesterday on Thursday of the Thunder announcing, you know, their logo and the name of the team after a lot of different uh, voting and iterations. Which were some of your favorite names that didn't get through? Uh, that's a good question. I remember like Outlaws was being tossed around. I kind of like that. You know, it's like uh, it's like the Wild West out here. You know, pioneer country outlaws. We got we got robbers cave down there in southeast Oklahoma. So I kind of liked that one. I don't remember feeling super attached to any other name uh i know thunder was was kind of always out there i didn't love it at first just like the the singular nickname but now it it's like it's like naming a child i don't have a child so i have no idea if it's like naming a child but you know someone might name their child a name that you think is not your favorite a little bit weird but then it just grows on you and that child becomes that name and there's it's just like, yeah, of course, this is this is what they're called. That's how I feel about the Thunder. Yeah, I, I remember the Barons. According to Bleacher Report, they OKC trialed a, uh, filed trademarks um, for the league with the latest: the Barons, the Bison, the Energy, the Marshals, the Thunder, or the Wind. 
the wind. I'm glad it's not the wind. I remember Barron's. Um, you know, enough with all the oil stuff, though. Like we, like, come on. I, I might as well. We, we might as well choose something natural, like thunder, rather than than oil. Thunder is better, but it is still weird. Like the singular name. It's like I'm so happy to be a thunder. I, yeah, I, always I think struggle just with on the writing. thunder. Yeah, it's just it's awkward. Still like yeah. the team name though. Like some. So like the the jazz beat writers and maybe fans, I don't really know, but they'll call like instead of me writing uh one of several thunder players to have done yada yada yada, they'll write jasmine. I can't write thundermen. Um but you don't run into that with a plural nickname, one of however many Lakers to have done this, like it's natural, but you can't say one of however many thunder to do this. So I have to always say thunder players. Uh, It's a little clunky, but what are you going to do? I think we're just going to rank our top 15 thunder players (laughs) ever. That's what we're going to do. But one of the biggest, you know, debates between this is greatest versus best. What's the difference? And I Googled it so we can trust this with certainty. Oh, wow. The internet never lies, Joe. Um, greatness is measured over a longer period of time that takes into account someone's entire body of work, whereas the best is just measured by peak performance. Would you agree with that? I, I think that's a great definition. Um, or, I think we should go greatest, but what are we doing here? Uh, greatest, probably. Yeah, I think best would just kind of be more short, short term. But at the same time, I was going to ask you, how do you how did you kind of measure these guys? Did you have any measuring tools? What categories? Because at some point you do kind of have to go back and forth between a role player who was here for a while versus a guy who was here for a season or two, but played at a very, very high level. Yeah. Like how are you su- supposed to measure Chris Paul versus Nick Collison, yeah. for example? I-, I mean, Chris Paul played in Oklahoma city one season. It was a glorious season. Um, his peak was higher than that of Nick Collison's in any one season, but Nick Collison is Mr. Thunder and he's, he's higher on my list than Chris Paul. So I went more with total body of work than peak. I struggled with the guys on the current roster, kind of like where to, to place them. Also, this franchise is still so young um, to where it gets pretty thin as we'll find out in uh, the 10 to 15 range. Full disclosure, my boss, Jeff Patterson, he was like, hey, I just saw this 15-year anniversary. You should put together a top 15 list of all-time Thunder players. And when we were talking about uh, topics for today, I pitched this to Michael. And I would say that I don't want to be held to anything I say on this podcast. This is like, we're like test driving. I'm, I'm listening to what Michael's going to say. I'm going to see if whatever I say makes any sense whatsoever. Um, and I'm going to compile this information and then uh, put that into my top 15 list, which will come out uh, sometime before the season. Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of our, our rough draft of Thunder history. You can hold us accountable for our top two. The rest is just up to you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no controversy there. OK, I'm going to flip an electronic coin here on my phone. Heads or tails. All right. Uh, I'll pick tails because that's what Siri went with last time. Hey Siri, flip a coin. Is tails again? You are going first. See? Siri never fails. Oh, Siri always goes first. Uh, always goes tails. I mean, um, hmm. 
I would almost prefer the second pick, but I will I will go the 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 first pick. Uh and it has to be Russell Westbrook. Um if we if we go best over greatest, it's Kevin Durant number one. Um but uh greatest thunder player in, in history is Russell Westbrook. Um just the longevity. So he played in 821 games for the Thunder versus 561 um, for Durant. You know, the obviously is is more beloved uh, still here today as kind of the the star who stayed um, and got the opposite reaction as Kevin Durant did when they first played against the Thunder in Oklahoma City. So pretty easy number one pick in Russell Westbrook. I agree. Yeah, I had a few awards and accomplishment things written down here. 2016-17 MVP award winner. The first player to average a triple-double for a season since Oscar Robertson in 1961. Eight-time All-Star, two-time All-Star game MVP, all-rookie first team. Two uh, first-team All-NBA appearances and four second-team. He finished top five in MVP voting four times. He led the NBA in total points in 2016-17. Led the league in points per game in 14-15 and 16-17. He also led the league in total assists and assists per game in 17, 18, and 18, 19, and led the NBA in triple-doubles five different seasons. Yeah, and no surprise here, the Thunder's all-time leader in games, minutes, points, rebounds, assists, steals. I mean, he's number one on, on almost everything in the record book. It's crazy. Yeah, Russ in his time in OKC by himself had 138 triple-doubles. That ranks eighth all time in uh, among teams. Just Russ by himself, just as in time his time in Oklahoma City. He only trails the Warriors, the Nuggets, the 76ers, the Thunder. Technically, he has 138 of the 205, so 67 non-Russ, and then the Celtics, Kings, and Lakers. Yeah, just um, crazy numbers there. Uh, I have a good idea of who you're taking with the number two pick. One more Russ stat, and then I got you. Russ in his MVP right. season, 42 triple doubles. That is more than the Wolves, Hornets, Raptors, Grizzlies, and Jazz have had in their franchise's total history. The Jazz have some crazy uh, triple du- triple double drought that I think is still existing. I'm going to try to look this up now. but um, I think it's been something like Mark Eaton, something crazy. They've gone 14 years without a triple-double. Carlos Boozer was their last one. Crazy stuff. Well, I'm, I, you do know my choice here. Number two, Kevin Durant in his seven seasons, uh, counting his rookie season in Seattle, career 17,566 points. Just in his OKC days alone, that puts him 89th all-time in career points ahead of players like Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Kevin McHale, Chris Bosh, Chris Weber, Grant Hill, Paul George, and Giannis. Pretty impressive. Yeah, he was an MVP in 2013-2014, seven-time All-Star. He made five straight All-NBA teams and then two um, second teams from 15 and 16. He was top five in MVP voting six different times, including um, second place in three different um, seasons. Yeah, and basically, uh, I said Russell Westbrook is number one in every Thunder record book category. Kevin Durant is is basically number two in every in every category. And those two guys, the the gap between one and two is you know fairly significant, just given Russ's longevity. The gap between two and three is huge. Um, 
as we move further down this list. Yeah, Russ and KD are just two guys forever connected. And then one of the things that this will um, also go along with some of the guys later in the list, but, you know, they were the arrowheads. They were the driving force of those teams is they went to four conference finals. They made an NBA finals. They lost to the team that would end up winning the championship like four out of five years in one stretch. So just unbelievable stuff. Obviously, they didn't get over the hump, but definitely a NBA time to be remembered. So who is your second choice, third overall? Yeah, I'm actually. Um, I'm not sure about this one, so I, I'm I'm going to be curious to see who you have in this spot, because I think there's. A number of options. And maybe I'm going against the definition that we already outlined, but I am going with Shea Gilgis Alexander um, is my second pick, third pick overall. The argument against Shea is an easy one to make. He only He's only played in, in, in four seasons. Um, the argument for Shea is also easy to make. He just finished fifth in MVP voting, first team All-NBA, um, just made his first All-Star game. He has more accolades than um, as a Thunder than I think any other player that that's going to be on this list in Oklahoma City. Twenty four point seven points per game, um, shooting forty nine percent, incredibly efficient. Four point six or five point two rebounds, five assists per game. So I have Shea in that spot now. Again, if I reference the Thunder record book, look at all time players. He. He's probably not deserving of this spot, but um, I'm curious. Where Did you have Shea as, as your number three player? I had him in the top five. I just had trouble ranking him because some of it, I put a lot of uh, weight into playoff stuff, and he's only played seven games yeah. with Thunder in the playoffs. There's no question about it, about going forward, that he's on track to be the third guy or further up maybe. But for now... um. I think that it's pretty safe to put him around five or so given his regular season um, accolades and accomplishments. I mean, there haven't been too many guys who are first team all NBA. I think there's four total from the Thunder who have done that, done that. So nothing to shrug your shoulders at for number four. I had Serge Ibaka. Um, yeah. Longtime player for the Thunder. He played seven seasons, 524 total games, 413 starts. Averaged 11, 7, and 2.5 and blocks in 28 minutes per game. He was all defense first team in 11, 12, 12, 13, and 13, 14. I didn't know that. He led the NBA in blocks per game twice and led the league in total blocks in five different seasons. Yeah, I had Ibaka number four on my list. So he goes um, four overall. But I, I, I'm glad we're workshopping this now because I think Abaka probably is deserving just given that long resume over SGA again at the peak of their powers. SGA is uh, obviously the better player, but um, I think people kind of lose sight of just how good Abaka was for, you know, what, seven seasons in, in Oklahoma City. Oh, and one of those years, he I will go to my grave feeling this way. He should have won Defensive Player of the Year over Tyson Chandler. Yeah, I mean, he was just a lead on that end of the floor. Yeah, as a shot blocker, like people are excited about Chet. You need to look at those old surge clips of him just flying around the floor. That's why they called him Air Congo, just blocking shots before he was more of like a stretch four, whenever he was just like a big playing around uh, the paint, like the mid range and the elbows and stuff. Young surge was a lot of fun, but 
Who do you have next up off the board? So far, we have Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Serge Ibaka. Oh, man. It's already... It's already getting a, a little um, dicey here just with uh, who you want to go with. Um, Luckily, we're I'm only gonna, accountable for the top two. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Nick Collison. Um, Mr. Thunder, jersey hanging in the rafters in the front office now. Um, you know, certainly anyone outside of Oklahoma City, anyone who's not a Thunder fan might kind of smirk at, at why his his jersey is retired and and you would have a valid argument, but you just kind of have to know what he's meant to the organization. And, you know, obviously began his career w- with the Sonics, but but still with the Thunder all time. He, he's number two on the Thunder's games played list behind um, Russell Westbrook on the all-time rebounds list. He, he's number five uh, all-time blocks list. He's number four. I assume on the all times charge list, he's, he's number one, soon to be passed up by Jay Will. Um, but the longevity of Nick Collison's career and kind of the uh, what he's meant to the franchise, I'll put him there at number, what are we on, five? Yeah, five. Um, 80 playoff games for the Thunder, average, uh, average four and four and 17 minutes per game. He shot 56, 40, 68 um, in the playoffs. Uh, it's only because he attempted a three in two different playoff runs, and he only <laughs> made uh, a three in one of those. So not a super high volume, but uh, Nick Collison, just the quintessential role player off the bench who, um, I don't know, supported those teams. He wasn't the main guy, but very important in the locker room and off the floor of this team. So I definitely get where you're coming from. Who do you got next? Steven Adams is who I yeah. went with. Uh, 530 regular season games through seven seasons, average uh, 10 and seven and one block per game on 59 0 56 shooting splits, even though he did tease that he would shoot a three in that preseason. Uh, but he was 2013, 2014, all rookie second team for most of his career. I'd say that he was a top 15 ish center and just a very reliable guy who um, did a lot of the dirty work and played on some very, very high level teams in the playoffs and was a big contributor in that, not necessarily just in the points category, but rebounding defense communicating i think that he was very important on those teams so i have him at six on our draft board here yeah so on on my actual list i had steven adams one spot ahead of nick collison and i just like flip-flopped in in real time but those were the two i was uh kind of deciding between at those spots adams versus collison which i think is a really interesting argument yeah, one of the best rebounders in the NBA uh, throughout his career, a guy who people didn't think was going to play initially in his rookie season, but supplanted Kendrick Perkins pretty quickly and became a, a core member of one of the of these teams and a big reason for how they got up 3-1 in that series against the Warriors. And I think Russ is uh, best pick and roll partner since he's been in Oklahoma City. Um, I have no idea who to pick next. Just no idea. But I'm gonna give you a name. This is kind of the argument I went argument I went with with Shay. Uh only played two years in Oklahoma City, which I'm probably gonna have to move him down lower. But I went with Paul George right here. Uh just put up incredible numbers um despite uh his his short time 
uh, in Oklahoma City. So Paul George, all-time ranks 24th on the game's played list. Um, however, in points, the sixth most points in Thunder history, which is crazy. The only guys to, to score more points in a Thunder uniform. Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Steven Adams. Um, so, uh, very uh, compact amount of time. I know it did not come with playoff success. I am probably going to rethink this later, but I am going to throw out Paul George's name here. I had him in around that same range of like six to seven. Um, okay. Okay, I, mean, I feel he, better. He was first team all NBA. He was top three in MVP and Defensive Player of the Year voting. He, um, I think, like led the league in like three pointers made or was very close to it. He, in those two seasons, especially the second one after the Carmelo year when he was in the MVP discussion, he was playing about as good as basketball as anyone has on with a Thunder jersey. I mean, I think it's comparable his year to Shea's year last year, just at like a high level playing. But yeah, it does put a sour taste in your mouth just the short time he was here and then some of the playoff shortcomings. The one against Utah is very, very hard to forget. The one against Portland, like he had two like totally screwed up shoulders. So that one makes a little bit more sense, Mm -hmm. but it's not exactly how you would want it to go out. But just in terms of shining super bright over those two years, I think Paul George, one of the best um, wing defenders I've seen and very impactful on the Thunder, even if it didn't turn out to great postseason success. Yeah. And if we're going peak of powers, he's. He's higher on this list, obviously, but kind of speaks to how good he was in those two years to to be this high, uh, d- despite not having the the longevity of other players around him. So maybe this is one you'll push back on. We go from Paul George to number eight. Chris Paul is who I had, even in his one season. He was um, really good that year. I mean, he just totally flipped the team where the expectation was that they weren't going to be very good, and Chris Paul uh, just bucked that. But he in one season he. Started all 70 games, 17 points per game, five rebounds, seven assists, one and a half steals on 49, 37, 91. One time All-Star, he was top seven in MVP voting. That's only the second time I think he's got, or the third time he's gotten MVP votes. And then he was second team All-NBA. Um, like Shea, only seven games in the playoffs and they lose to Houston. But that was a very, very fun season. Maybe it's my nostalgia glasses um, clogging things up. But I think Chris Paul, even in that one season, was a very very big for the thunder yeah that was my first year on the beat and i was just kind of amazed covering chris paul not only did not only what he did on the floor but off the floor and you know was in charge of the players association i was like how does this guy have time for anything seems to be a good family guy so a lot of respect for for chris paul and you know he he said it many times since then but that year in oklahoma city sort of revitalized his career and he was seen as a negative asset at the time, obviously, with the Thunder getting the the better deal and um, getting picks attached to Chris Paul rather than the other way around in that Russell Westbrook trade. And then being able to to flip Chris Paul to, to Phoenix, which is where Chris wanted to go. The Thunder were happy to facilitate that. Got more picks on the backside of it. So, um, yeah, I I think we're at the point in the draft where you might as well put a Chris Paul here. Uh just because that one year was so memorable. And his impact on Shea, I don't think can be discounted. I think as just like a mentor and a guy who he can kind of follow behind and learn from, I think is super important. And we've seen that through Shea's development and their relationship that still goes on. But uh, Chris Paul, even in one season, that's who I have. So who is number nine? So far we have Russ, KD, Serge, Collison, 
Adams, or we had Russ, Katie, Shea, Serge, Carlson, Adams, PG-13, Chris Paul. Next for me, uh, he, he is known as Uncle Jeff, but he was a founding father on, on this team. Jeff Green, um, it's been a long time, but just to uh, just to remind you, he is top 10 all time in minutes played for the Thunder and is also in the top 10 uh, among points and rebounds uh, on the all time Thunder list. So um, still still ranks really highly despite, you know, being traded um, t- to Boston in the middle of his third season uh, with with the Thunder. But at this point, you can go a lot of different directions, but um, I went with Jeff Green. NBA champion Jeff Green recovered from a pretty That's right. uh, serious uh, medical condition with his heart, I'm pretty sure, and then ended up playing for a lot longer. But yeah, Jeff Green, another guy who I think would fit on this Thunder team really well. Um, just, um, you know, initial member of that core, like you mentioned, and um, yeah, ends up being traded, but definitely accomplished um his fair amount while he was here he was part of that first playoff team too i think mm-hmm. yeah so uh kind of kind of cool that the thunder has such a brief history but you know we're, we're going back a ways now which is which is fun well i am also going to go with somebody from that core young guys james harden i know it's this time is, it's not it's the time. best time to do this i know that james Harden's not the most popular name right now but we're only thinking about those first three years. We don't have to think yeah. about anything after it. That summer, anything. But James I had Harden, them at, I had him in the same exact spot. Okay, nice. Only sixth man of the year in Thunder history. Um, he was extremely good off the bench. I have stats here. Where are they on his exact amount of games? He played 220 games. He only started seven of them. And he averaged 13, uh, three and two and a half assists on 44, 37, 84. He was a big part of that uh, playoff run to go to the finals, even if he wasn't great in the finals. He was extremely good against the Lakers and against the Spurs in the conference finals. And um, I don't know, very nostalgic for those teams, even if it was a short sample size and the uh, the Thunder didn't get prime Harden. He was still extremely good for them in those three years. Yeah, I I think um, I had Jeff Green and Harden back to back. You could kind of go either way. Uh, Sample size is a little bit bigger with jeff green as far as games played let me see here uh actually harden played in 220 games jeff green in in 209 but green played in uh more minutes by quite a large margin because as you said harden only started in in seven games but um yeah i i think this is a this is a very solid spot uh for james harden okay at 11 who do you have at 11 I'm going with a guy that is number four on the Thunder's all-time steals list. Digging deep here, I'm going with Tabo Cephalosha. That was my next one. That <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think this will surprise some people. So Tabo, number six all-time in games played in a Thunder uniform, uh, only behind Russell Westbrook, Nick Collison, Kevin Durant, Stephen Adams, and Serge Ibaka. Next on that list is Tabo Cephalosha. 368 games with the Thunder started all but one of those. Um, and, you know, before there was Andre Robertson and Terrence Ferguson and Lou Dort, he was he was the defensive stopper 
on the wing for the Thunder, just an excellent defensive player and, um, you know, a, a serviceable three-point shooter. He shot 35% from three. Um, uh, so, you, you know, kind of that quintessential, you know, three and D prototype that is, is so valued now. Tabo is a really solid player. And he had a couple of years there where you mentioned um, he shot 35% for his career in Oklahoma City, but he shot really well for a couple of seasons there. He had 69 total playoff games for the Thunder. So that's another thing. He was a part of that finals team and multiple conference finals um, appearance teams. But yeah, I think that we sort of forget about how impactful he was to those early teams, as you mentioned, with guys like Robertson to follow, Terrence Ferguson, Josh Hustis, Corey Brewer, uh, Lou Dort, Aaron Wiggins, and sort of that next generation of guys. But yeah, Tabo, I think, is in the right spot there. All right. Number uh is this number twelve? Um, I think so. Okay. I think the top eleven on my list are all gone. Okay. Well, this is I'll I'll take Andre Robertson right after that. I think Ooh. That, I think that uh he obviously the flaws are on the offensive end, but he was second team all defense. He was an important part of two different conference finals runs. Um, he shot actually a lot better in the playoffs from three than I thought he did. He shot 35% from three. Um, he played in four different playoff runs, but two of them, it was like his first year with the team and he played, oh, I have the stat here. Where is it? He played 26 total playoff games with the Thunder. Three of those were in the 13-14 season and the bubble season where he totaled 12 minutes across those three games. So I didn't even count the stats for those, but across the other 23, he averaged seven and five rebounds and around 29 minutes per game. But another just defensive wing who just rained terror on guys. And one of the, one of the more talented defenders in the NBA when he was healthy before he went down with that crazy injury. Yeah. Um, Robertson was just on, on my just missed list, but that, that might change. Um, you, you laid out the case for him. All very, very valid points to have Andre Robertson there. Um, with my next pick, let me let me get to my old draft sheet here. I am going to select. Hmm. I'm going to select Kendrick Perkins. That was one that was I, I had, but I was like, I don't. I want Joe to be the one. <laughs> so I I did not go into this knowing that Kendrick Perkins would be on my list, but he is. It has nothing to do with his hot takes on television. Kendrick Perkins, eighth on the Thunder's all-time games played list, uh, sixth on the Thunder's all-time rebounds list, seventh on the Thunder's all-time blocks list. And it was more of like the mentality that he obviously um, brought. I, I know Kendrick Perkins always left people wanting more. Why is the Thunder not going to go small? Why are they sticking with Perkins in the series against the Heat. Yes, you can quibble with all of those things, rightfully so, but sort of brought that like tough mentality inside, kind of shaped Steven Adams's uh career as well. Just uh just that physicality. Uh it, it was a trade that would not be made today, um, but it did make sense, at least on the surface back then. So I I'll I'll go Kendrick Perkins here. Yeah, and he was super important. Like you mentioned, the Heat series is where a lot of people just think of him from. But playing in San Antonio every year where they have Tim Duncan, Tiago Splitter, Boris Diaw, and all those guys, um, the Mavericks have 
uh, Dirk Nowinski and they have Brendan Haywood and a bunch of other bigs. The Lakers had Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol at that time. So to go small at that point, I think you would have gotten crushed by a lot of teams other than maybe the Heat where you needed a max size. But Perk, despite some of those flaws, was very, very important to those teams mentally, like you mentioned, and just toughness and teaching them sort of how to win in a way. Yeah. So next All right. We're, we've got, uh, what is this, 14? I think this is 13. 13. Okay, 13 here. This is where we are in the lean. I'll go with Dennis Schroeder. Ooh. Dennis Schroeder, who only played here for two years, but he was second and sixth man. Um, he contributed some playoff teams. They didn't get past the first round, but he played in uh, 12 games. It was in the um, the Portland series. The last one was Russ and PG and then the bubble one. But he was incredible in that bubble season. And the three guard lineup of Shea, Chris Paul and Dennis was awesome. He averaged 16 points per game um, or no, he didn't. He averaged yeah, 17, um, four assists and 3.6 rebounds on 44, 36, 83 shooting splits. I still think that he should have won six man of the year over Montrez Harrell. Um, not some just superstar stats, but he probably is. I don't think this is hyperbolic. The best point, uh, backup point guard the Thunder have had. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm I'm with you. I remember doing a lot of stories on this. Like I, I thought he had a pretty ironclad case to to win sixth man of the year over Harrell. Uh and uh voters saw it differently, but Schroeder was phenomenal, like you said, in that bubble season. Um I think you're right. This is fifteen. Your your next one is the the last one here. You can cap ooh, us off with whoever. That's a lot of pressure. Okay. I'm actually, I, I think this is an easy pick at this point, remarkably. I'm picking Lou Dort. Um, Lou Dort, we all know what he does on the defensive end. Um, but like he's he's building quite quite the resume with, with the Thunder. Now I'm, I'm pulling up his, his career stats here in four seasons with the Thunder. He's averaged 13.4 points, 3.9 rebounds, 1.7 assists. But like I said, it all comes down to the defense. And while he has been just a 33% three-point shooter, which everyone is is relatively aware of, it's crazy. This is just like a, a sign of the times. But among all um, Thunder players, three-point makes in history – Ludor is fourth. He's fourth behind Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. Ranks ahead of Harden and SGA, Cephalosha, Jeff Green. Um, you know, is on the same level as a Cephalosha or Robertson defensively. Um, you know, I, I think you could order those guys in any which way you want. I, I would probably go Dort and Robertson in in some order. Um but but yeah, obviously a really cool story. Undrafted, signs a two way contract, and and now you look and he's 14th on the all time games played list and 11th on the all time minutes list. That is crazy that he's already top four and three pointers made. It, very surprising that Paul George is number three in two years. But yeah, yeah, Lou Dort, he's making a good case for himself. This is a younger franchise, so. Um, not neither of us were gonna go with Gary Payton anywhere here or Sean Kemp. <laughs> uh, I had a few honorable mentions. I had Josh. Um, yeah, me too. Jeremy Grant, 
Reggie Jackson, and then one was a flyer, but I was like, you know what? I'll throw him out there. Derek Fisher was was the last one. Yeah, so I actually had Josh Giddy and Jeremy Grant on my list of 15, and I had two honorable mentions, and you named them both, Andre Robertson and Dennis Schroeder. I didn't get any deeper than that, but that's that's very helpful because we basically have the top there's a consent would Dort and Perkins have been among your honorable mentions or no uh, Perkins was in my top 15 actually but uh yeah Dort would be an honorable mention I think we have a rough top 20 then yeah yeah even like top 17 top 18 so yeah there's there's pretty much consensus there uh I don't think we deviated too much from each other at, at any point on the list and if we did it was after the top 10. Um, so that gives me a little bit more confidence in writing this, but kind of a fun exercise to do. Jeff Green was somebody who I didn't really consider as much as I probably should have, uh, but you had him higher. Is there anybody who I swayed you on who you had lower, who you not might move up or anyone who I made a case for? And you're like, actually, that actually makes me want to put them lower. Uh, I think you made a good case for Abaka at three. I think I'm probably going to flip him and SGA. Um, so you got me there. I'm going to have to give a longer look to Robertson, uh, just because he, he wasn't on my list. So Robertson versus, you know, green Dort, giddy grant. Um, obviously you can, you can make those cases. So, um, but yeah, a is the, the big one. I need to move him up to number three. What will Chet have to do to be in the top 10 after year one? Um, I think you would he'd have to win rookie of the year. He would have to like lead the Thunder to a playoff series victory and be the best player or one of the best players in that series. He'd have to average like 17 11 on 53% shooting and 39% three-point shooting. You know what? I didn't think I was going to get a real answer there, but I appreciate it. I think that I think you've just been up for way too long this morning. So, Joe, I'm going to let you go. Oh, so you can boy. Get a, get a power nap and try to just wash yourself of all the Australian uh, basketball against um, Slovenia. I need to watch more Latvia highlights. Apparently, just watch Davis Bertans. He hit the ball hits his hands and it's like pop a shot at an arcade. Like he's getting it up immediately. But yeah, that man is going to shoot. He, he, the, the Canadians could use them. They could. Football season is here, Joe. Uh, do you have anything else um, that you wanted to mention or plug that you're working on before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of being used as a uh, utility player these days. So I'm going to be out in Norman t- tomorrow covering, hel- helping our, uh, oh, you guys cover the the good old uh, Sooner season opener. So excited about that. But we'll still have continuing coverage of FIBA World Cup and uh, a written version of uh, kind of the podcast we just did. I'm looking forward to you stumbling and accidentally using some of the Mark isms of like force and other things in the press conference. Um, Progress is not linear. Mark Dagnalt and Britton Venables, very different people. Did you see um, Jade Hub? There was a clip of him. They asked him $500,000 or dinner with Mark Dagnalt, and he just like didn't even flinch. He goes, give me the money. He's like, I can have Mark. He goes, I've had uh, dinner with Mark many times. I can do it again. He goes, I think he yeah. would actually be mad at me if I took the dinner with him. Yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous question. I mean, I don't think it's uh, hard for players to have dinner with their coach. I, I think it would be harder for a coach to have dinner with their players. It's like, 
Mark asked J-Dub, hey, J-Dub, want to go to dinner? No, I've got I've got other plans. And J-Dub asked Mark, hey, Mark, you want to go to dinner? It's like, of course, what else is Mark doing? Watching film, um, listening to Bruce Springsteen albums. I, I'm talking about on the road here, too. I don't want anyone to misconstrue this. Like, uh, you know, he has a family, right? It's like, yes, I know. No family, anti-family <laughs> Joe Masato. You can clip that right there. Doesn't oh, like boy. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to end it here before we say something dumb. We as in myself, but too too late for that. Yeah. Well, Michael. Joe, thanks for coming on with me. I'm excited to see your uh, coverage of OU football and the written piece uh, that we've kind of discussed today and more Thunder content. But thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a description. It means a lot to us. And we will be back on Tuesday for more Thunder. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.